Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I praise the Lord all my life. Immortal man, I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, immortal men who cannot save. When the spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the Maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but He frustrates the way of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. That's the word of the Lord. Thanks very much. Um, it wouldn't be a Shatin Church announcement if I, unless I had more things to add that I forgot. <laughs> I'm sorry. There was one thing that I forgot that I need to tell you. Um, August 1st through 10th, uh, around Hong Kong, uh, is a conference called Hong Kong Bible Conference. This mainly happens through uh, the Cantonese-speaking churches in Hong Kong. And this year, there are over 50 churches participating in it, and then we're one of them. Um, so Hong Kong Bible Conference... Uh, brings in speakers from around the world. A couple of years ago, it was uh, Don Carson. And this year, well, we have uh, Chris Wright, uh, Dr. Chris Wright uh, from London, coming um, to do the plenary sessions. And so uh, from August 1st, uh, this, which is this Saturday, uh, we will also simultaneously broadcast uh, uh, his session in the morning. So that starts at 9.45 to 11 o'clock. If you are able to join us, uh, you can go to the Hong Kong Baptist Church uh, um, in uh, Mong Kok, uh, but if you aren't able to make it there, uh, it'll be full, uh, so you can come and join us as we broadcast uh, that as well. So that's 9.45. All are welcome. Um, do come this Saturday. And actually, that uh, we're going to uh, combine men's group and that um, together this week. So men will come, um, and we will do that this week. I'm sorry, I... At the church center, yes, at the church center. Thanks very much. Um, but let's pray as we come to this text, Psalm 146. Once again, Lord, we give you great praise and thanks for your living and active word, and that we get to come to you, we get to know who you are through, um, this, uh, through these words. And we pray that you'll make them your own, and you'll speak to us uh, through it this morning. Help us to be people who praise you um, as a result of meeting you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, It said that if you want to know the true measure of a man, that we should watch how he treats his inferiors rather than his equals or his superiors. There's a lot of wisdom there, right? Because there's a lot. I mean, there's... uh, something to be gained by treating his equals well or his superiors well. But there is not a lot to be gained by treating his inferiors, the people who are the the underlings. It shows that there is sort of power dynamic there. Um, 
And this uh, saying reminds me of a quote by Lord Acton of the 18th century of England, who once wrote, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Interestingly, uh, Lord Acton was writing about actually this doctrine of papal infallibility, the, uh, the, the belief that if the Pope speaks ex cathedra from his throne, that what he says is infallible, it's not wrong. So he's saying he's concerned that giving this sort of absolute power, God-like power, uh, would corrupt Pope, even if he starts out a good person. Well, for the most part, that particular doctrine isn't, hasn't been big trouble in the church, but Acton's writing, that writing is often quoted because there is a lot of truth there to that saying. Power tends to corrupt, and those who wield absolute power, like many di- dictators that we see around the world, are corrupted absolutely. I mean, I know this because I'm Korean, and you know, Kim Jong, uh, Kim Jong-il, the first president of North Korea, Right? He started out a Christian. He started out a freedom fighter. And then he went the dictator's way. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And so, verse 3. The advice in verse 3 is a good one, isn't it? Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. He's speaking almost to people who seem to be disillusioned by power, by the powerful. Maybe dependent on the powerful to uphold justice, to work towards the ideals, but have experienced disappointments. The psalmist says, don't trust in human power. They might not be able to deliver. And even if they could, he says, their power is limited. They cannot deliver. They cannot save. He goes on to say in verse 4, that even if they are able to make changes for the good, it won't last, it won't be forever. Look what he says there. He says, when their spirit departs, they return to the ground. And on that, on that very day, their plans come to nothing. Their influence and power only last for this life only. We have seen this often as well. Good people's work being cha- taken over by their successor and being ruined. We do see this happen again and again in this world as well, don't we? Just do not trust in human beings. Even the princes who can do things in this world because their power is limited by duration and its efficacy. In contrast, trust, blessed are, in verse 5, blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is Yahweh, their God. Part of the reason is that God's power is unlike human power. It's not limited by anything. He reminds us of God's power. He's the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He's absolutely powerful. He has created everything in this world that we see and things that we don't even see around the universe. He's created everything and everything in them. And his power isn't limited to this life only. He reigns forever, verse 10. He is faithful forever. He says, but here's the thing. How can we trust in God? How can we trust in God's power? If power corrupts, tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Well, here's a God who has absolute power over all things. How can we know that he is trustworthy? How can we know that he will do good for me, for us? Well, 
He says what follows, verse 6, is verses 7 through 9, which explains God's character. Take a look at that. Essentially, Psalmist writes, look at how he treats his inferiors. Actually, not just inferiors, because everybody's inferior um, to him. Look at how he treats the most vulnerable, the people that no one cares about, that no one has an incentive to help. Look how God treats those people, the weak, weakest of the weak. He says, God is God of the weak. The psalmist tells us that he executes justice for the oppressed in verse 7 and gives food for the hungry. He sets the prisoners free. I mean, obviously, he's not talking about prisoners who are guilty, prisoners who are imprisoned unjustly. This concerns his, his justice. He gives sight to the blind and lifts those who have been made low, verse 8. Verse 9, he talks about care for the foreigners. And foreigners are um, mentioned here because, I mean, many, many of us, like many of us, people who moved to, uh, at that point, uh, at that time, people who moved to a different country, they, they were away from their land, home and family, away from their safety net. They took the worst jobs and they had no security whatsoever. He says, God helps the foreigners. God is with them. God watches over them. Fatherless and the widow who had no help from outside. Yahweh, he says in verse 9, sustains them while frustrating the way of the wicked. We're often afraid of giving power to one individual, and that's wise. The world is full of corrupt dictators. Perhaps this is why Hong Kongers are so afraid of maybe giving power over to China, because, well, China has one party system there. And if they have all the power, well, how would they wield that power over us? You know, with all its inefficiency and faults, the system of democracy actually spreads power around to every individual. It puts that checks and balance and puts the power in the hands of many people. We're right to distrust power, concentrated power in one person, but God is absolutely powerful. He holds power over all things, but look at how he acts. Instead of being aloof or abusing his power, he helps even most, the most vulnerable. The psalmist says we can trust him. We can trust him because of the way he treats the weakest. He is the God of the weak. And some of us are in this weak condition, even now. Maybe you are in this position that you are oppressed, suffered injustice, Maybe you're not sure where your next paycheck is going to come from. Maybe you don't, you know people who are feeling helpless, um, imprisoned and helpless. In, uh, perhaps you're sick and you've been sick for a long time and you have been brought low. There are plenty of people here also away from their home. There are widows and orphans here as well. And you know where to turn to. It's Yahweh, God. The psalmist reminds us that we can turn to Yahweh God. And he reminds us, I mean, you know, the, the, the Lord, L-O-R-D, in uh, four capital letters, that's God's name, Yahweh God. It's as if he emphasizes Yahweh God. He repeats Yahweh God again and again in verses 7 and 9, five times, to, to say that there is no other God who can do this. Yahweh sets the, prisoner, uh, sets the prisoners free. Yahweh gives sight. Yahweh lifts up. Yahweh loves. Yahweh watches over. Turn to him, for he will help. That's who he is, and that's what he does. 
And if you don't get justice now, you will later. You will eventually. You will, you see, the, the thing is, Yahweh reigns forever. If you, if he, if he, if you, if you're not delivered now, he will. When he comes back, there will be a time when he will wipe the tears from all the crying eyes. He will undo all the injustice, all the wrongs in this world. He will execute his justice because he reigns forever. He's not just God of this time. He reigns forever. He will rule forever. And if the way of the wicked is not frustrated here now, on earth now, it will later when he comes back. He reigns forever. So trust him. But this psalm isn't just for the people who are feeling vulnerable and weak. What the psalmist says is that even if you are at the peak of your career, physical health, wealth, and if you are in the position of power, don't trust those things. Those things, well, they can come to nothing overnight. Isn't that what he's saying? They will come to nothing. The princes will come to nothing overnight in death. Their way of, uh, their, their way will come frustrated overnight. So don't trust in those things. Put your trust in the Lord. God who helps even the most vulnerable, He will help you. Trust in Him because He is trustworthy. Build your life around him. Trust in no other. That we know what kind of God that we serve is important. And that's the kind of God that we serve. Because if we are, uh, God, we are meant to be like God. Right? So this is why it's important for us to know God. We are to be a people who care for justice. His justice, and who are who should be concerned for the weak. We are to be a people of the weak, just as God is. In fact, if you think about um, the Old Testament, the laws, and the Israel, uh, the nation, God had built into into the constitution, into the laws of Israel itself, concern for the weak, concern for his for concern for justice, concern for uh, uh, the, the the most vulnerable. Uh, for example, to prevent people from being sort of oppressed uh, by um, poverty, um, God commanded Israelites to cancel all debt every seven years. Every seven years, you're supposed to cancel every debt. Deuteronomy 15. In the same way, they're supposed to free slaves every seven years. Deuteronomy 15.12. When they're harvesting, they weren't supposed to har- harvest all the way to the edges of the field. They were supposed to leave the edges uh, unharvested so that the poor and the weak could come and harvest it for themselves. They were supposed to leave it. This is, this is built in to Israel's law. This is what God requires his people to do. They're supposed to uh, uh, care for the foreigners and the poor because they, they had been foreigners once. Micah, of course, famously, famously summarizes what Yahweh God requires of us in Micah 6.8, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before God. Isaiah, of course, rails against Israelites, pointing out the reason why Israel was judged, taken over by the Assyrian Empire, was because they were unjust. They, they, they treated the poor badly. 
They oppress the poor. God has always been for the vulnerable, the weak, the oppressed, because God is God of act, uh, mercy and justice, and God wants us to be like him. And things didn't change when Jesus came. Remember Jesus' sort of self-mission statement in Luke 4, 4, 18 to 19. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim, proclaim freedom for, for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus says, what you read in Psalms, what you read in Micah and in the Old Testament, that's my mission. He'll, he'll also tell us that what we have done for the least of these, he has done for, uh, we have done it for him. So we are to be a people who are concerned for these people around us, for the poor, especially in the church. And this is a distinguishing mark of the Spirit-filled church. When the Spirit fills the, the church on the Pentecost, they share what they have, and there's no needy, no needy people among them. Are we a people who are concerned for the people around us, or are we just concerned for ourselves? Do we uphold the cause of the uh, oppressed, give food to the hungry, advocate for the justice of the imprisoned, heal the sick, lift up those who are struck down, watch over the vulnerable, the foreigners and aliens, the, the widows and orphans? Teresa of Avila said that Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. We are the body of Christ. And the thing is, God has put Israel to change the world. The mission of Israel was they are to so shine God's character that other nations were supposed to be drawn to them. But Israel failed. The mission that we have is not just for us. It's for the rest of the world. We are to be so different that all the people around us should be drawn to God because of who we are. This is how God changes the world. When we become a people who are concerned about things like this, the poor and the weak, the, the, the aliens, the, the widows around us. You know, we often think that we change the world by going up. That's not the way of the cross. We change the world by going down to the people who don't care. Uh, for the people who um, the world doesn't care about. This is how Tim Chester and this book, Meal with Jesus, um, puts, it, uh, puts it. It's common to hear that we need to reach the cultural elite and opinion formers if we want to transform the culture. No doubt there's something in this, but the danger is that if we adapt, uh, adapt to, reach, uh, to reach the rich and, and, and powerful on their terms, then nothing changes. Luke's alternative a strategy for reaching, the poor, uh, reaching people like the most excellent, Theophilus, is to point to the table fellowship of Jesus. We reach the rich by reaching the poor. Only in this way will we challenge the value system of the elite and embody God's grace. What he's saying there is actually that Luke writes about how Jesus hung out with the poor. Jesus uh, Jesus ate with people that the cultural elites would never eat with. This is how Jesus reached the, the, the elite. This is how Jesus changed the world. And we are to be like Christ in this way. We are to have this concern for the people that the world doesn't care about. This is how the world is changed when we become a people of the weak. But this, is, this has to start with this family, Shatin Church family. 
if there are, there are needy people among us, if you know uh, this, this is, it's your responsibility to help. It's our responsibility to help, to care for the people who are struck down. It's our responsibility, not someone else's. We need to start from here and then go out. So get to know who are the people who are needy, who are the vulnerable, who are um, the, the people who are struck down. Do we know them? Are we doing anything about them? And I know that many of you are actually doing this. Yeah, there are um, continued care for uh, the, the widow, uh, a widow in our church. I know that our church family is doing this. I know that the short-term mission trip um, people, we are going to go to do this, but we don't have to go that far. We can start here. We can start in Hong Kong. But it would be irresponsible for me to um, make this sermon, make this psalm about what we are supposed to do in this world. Because this psalm isn't a, a, a psalm of exhortation to get us to do things. Actually, the psalm starts out with one of the most recognizable uh, words uh, in the world. I mean, this, I think, transcends language. It starts out with, praise the Lord. You know what that is in Hebrew? It's hallelujah. Praise Yahweh. Praise the, the Lord. It starts out with hallelujah, hallelujah, my soul. It ends, of course, with the same phrase in verse 10, the very end. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This song isn't about what we are supposed to be doing, but it is about praise. It's about praise. It's a song of praise. But what I want to point out is actually that there is a relationship between what we praise and what we do. There is a relationship between the two. Because, as uh, Greg Beale, um, Professor Greg Beale uh, puts it in his uh, book um, called uh, We Become What We Worship. We become what we worship. If we worship this God, well, uh, if you worship, if you praise um, Bill Gates, you will try, you will start emulating Bill Gates because that's who you praise. If you praise Mother Teresa, you will start emulating Mother Teresa. You will become like her. If we praise this God, God who executes justice for the poor, who cares for the weak, we will become a people who do that as well. If we worship this God, if we get to know him, and if we praise him, if we wake up in the morning thinking about this God, then we will become like this God. We will do the things that God wants us to do because that's who we praise. That's who we worship. We will become like him. But then, Emulating. How do we get ourselves to uh, praise God in this way? Because praise itself is something that happens naturally. Praise is something that is sort of a natural response to encountering something that's worthy of praise. Right? How do we get ourselves to praise and worship this God in this way? Well, uh, because I know that North Koreans uh, praise uh, Kim Jong-un, but I know that it's a fake praise. How do we get ourselves to worship God in this way naturally? Well, I think the only way that we do that is, once again, to get to know the fullness of God's love for us, fullness of what God has done for us, fullness of who God is. Let's go back to Lord Acton's uh, quote about power, how it tends to corrupt, and absolute power tends to corrupt absolutely. Andy Crouch, the editor of uh, Christianity Today, has written this fascinating book called Playing God. It's about power. 
There he acknowledges that Lord Acton's famous dictum uh, is true for the most part. But then he asks uh, this follow-up question. Why is it that parents who hold absolute power over their children don't use their power to harm the baby? Why is it that they use their power to love and care for the baby, to wake up in the middle of night uh, to feed the baby? Why is it that they use their power in this way? Well, he says, the answer is obvious. It's because parents love their children. Love transforms how we use power, he says. This is a quote from him. They are overtaken by love. It's almost precise inversion of Lord Acton's observation. The more power we have over our children, more we are willing to sacrifice for them. Love transfigures power. Absolute love transfigures absolute power. And power transfigured by love is the power that made and saves this world. You see what I'm saying? Love transforms how we exercise power. It changes nature of that power. And because... And this is, this is what he's trying to point to. God is this God who has absolute power over us. But because God loves his people, look what he does. He cares for the weak. He cares uh, for uh, the widows and orphans. He executes justice for the oppressed and feeds the hungry. He uses his power this way because God loves us. That's how God uses his power. And not only that, the most clear use of this power and love is Jesus, isn't it? Because he's the only one powerful enough to save us. But because he's the only one who can, he sent his son Jesus. Because he's the one, he's the only one who can save us. God uses his power in this way. He loves us with all his power. And we, we know that. Through Jesus. You see, as with last week, this psalm is about all of us as well. We can identify with the oppressed, can't we? We're all oppressed by our own sin and death. We can identify with the hungry. We're all hungry for spiritual food once. We might not have had been prisoners, imprisoned physically, but we have been captive to our sinful desires and influence of the evil one. We can see with our eyes, but we were once blind and couldn't see the reality that is all around us clearly. In front of God, we're all struck down and bowed low. We have been foreigners, not because we left in New Zealand or England or whatever, but because we have been banished from our heavenly home. And, we are, and we're also orphans, banished from our Father, divorced from the one uh, for whom we're made. But God is God of the weak, and he has been for us. He used his power to save us, to lift us up, to give us a home, to make us um, his bride, to become our father. Because God's, God has used his power in this way. God loves us in this way. And what he has done for us will last in eternity because he, will, he reigns etern- uh, for eternity, verse 10. And as a people who trust, who have put trust in this God, in that God, if we know uh, this God and ourselves as people, as people who are loved in this way, I hope praises come naturally to you. 
I hope as you know God, as you know yourselves and what God has done for us, I hope you will praise him. I hope you'll wake up thinking about how loved you are and what God has done for you and praise him. And as we praise him, as we adore him, as we worship him, we will become like him. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. I hope you'll pray that prayer today. Amen.